Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to All the Books a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 342, and today we are talking about our favorite nonfiction of 2021. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Tears of Price, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Tirza, hello! Hey there! How's it going? Oh, it's it's going, you know. it's I'm very <laughs> much like last full week of work before the end of the year vibes. I'm yeah. tired, but we're, yeah. we're making it through. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've noticed that everyone seems quite stressed. Not just at Book yeah. Riot. I mean, just like everywhere. Everyone yeah. seems like very tired. It's been a hard year and people are tired. And it's understandable. You know, yeah. we all thought that things would be different by now. And the holidays probably don't help with that. So I just wanted to tell everybody that I appreciate you and hang in there. And I certainly appreciate my hosts who have to, like, listen to me complain about all my cat issues before we start recording and, like, wait for me when I have the hiccups, like, literal hiccups and and Jen Zink who has to, like, take those hiccups out of the recording (laughs) and, like, all this stuff. I'm just very grateful for everybody. But I, too, I'm very tired. I feel like my brain has been worn down to a nub this year. (laughs) Yeah. I definitely feel that. (laughs) Yeah. I usually am ready at the beginning of December to start, like, a new reading log, but I'm just ready to start a new, like, year log. I'm like, okay, like, let's just get going here with the next year because (laughs) it's long. Yeah. We all need a hard refresh. That's true. It's very true. But at least we have books. Yay, books. So last week, Vanessa and I talked about our favorite novels of the year. And that show was very long. And I was saying to you, too, I think it's because we recorded it live, like, on video, so we could see each other. And I think it was very exciting because it was like, hi, look, it's you. And, like, it was all very animated. (laughs) And there were lots and lots of words. And I'm easily distracted, you know. So it was like show and tell. I was, like, picking up things and showing her. Yeah. uh, Then it went, like, for an hour. And I was like, oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. So this week we're going to talk about nonfiction and we're not going to talk as long as that. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> yeah, everybody's everybody's taking a break. Everybody's getting ready for the weekend. But I actually was more successful with my nonfiction picks this year than my fiction picks as far as like books mm. that made end of the year lists. I was saying, I think last, I think it was on last week, yeah, that like my favorite books of the year, very few of them turned up on any lists anywhere. And and that's very unusual for me. But I don't know if it's like a change in, you know, my reading habits or my interests or like, if you know, the state of the world has anything to do with it. Like if it's more comfort reads or what, but my novel selections were much different than they've been in the past years as far as like award winners and stuff like that. My nonfiction, however... And a lot of yours, too, is on a lot of the lists this year. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, at the end of the year list, I always feel like as both a reader and an author, I'm rolling my eyes a little bit because sometimes the same stuff gets like tacked on there and you wonder how much of it is like hype versus like, no, that's actually like the best book. And I also just don't like like the best sort of as a word to describe these lists because like right. I, w- I will be real I am not as big of a nonfiction reader as I am a fiction reader so for me if I read like 20% nonfiction in a year like that's a really good year for me and I was as I was getting ready for the show I was re- I realized like oh crap like I've read a decent amount of nonfiction this year but most of it is like backlist books so i had to do like this panicked like okay i've got to read some nonfiction that came out this year so i will be the first to admit that like my nonfiction reading is not like as wide as it could be but like these are my favorite picks Mm -hmm. and it's that i kind of prefer like favorite so these are my favorites your favorites might be different other people might have even more different picks but i think that they're great and i'm really excited to recommend them yeah, that's why we call this our favorites of the year, because, yeah. you know, favorites are subjective. So, I mean, of course, obviously, if things show up in a lot of places, it's a pretty good indication that it's a wonderful book. But, you know, yeah. different things mean different things to people. Different books. I don't know what I, I'm saying now. I'm just going to break for an ad spot here now. <laughs> Sounds good. Today's episode is brought to you by Entangled Publishing's Red Tower Books, publisher of the smash hit Fourth Wing. You'll only cross these blades once in a page-turning new tale of revenge strategy and so many lies. Best-selling Red Tower Books is releasing its next year's will read that will capture your imagination and keep you guessing until the end. May Corlin's Five Broken Blades tells an intricate high-stakes tale of five total strangers united in a plot that will test their strength, wits, and courage. Each has their reasons, all have secrets. But while it's easy to portray a stranger, it's not so simple to stab a friend or a lover, okay, in the back. Now these five blades must choose between vengeance and one another. Pick up five broken blades by Mae Corlin for a thrilling, adventurous tale filled with risk, romance, adventure, and oh, so many lies. The relationships in it are complex and nuanced and involve everything from friends to enemies found in biological family and lovers and more. Thanks again to Entangled Publishing's Red Tower Books, publishers of the smash hit Fourth Wing for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Steve Aoki's Hero Quest at your local bookstore or online at HeroQuest.com and catch Steve live on the Heavenly Hell Tour. Hero Quest is a graphic novel that is the story of a genetically augmented metahuman named Hero who travels into the multiverse 400 years into the future to save Earth from a disaster it cannot avoid. It has everything from mutants to robots to zombies to aliens, witches, and more. It's a quest for ten rings of tremendous power from ten different worlds that will be needed to save our world from certain disaster. It's an epic journey that will require the hero named Hiro to be cursed to save the lives of billions on Earth. It's a story of heroism, wonder, betrayal, and finally, revelation. This is the hero's journey. This is Hiro's quest. So the story was imagined by the mind of Steve Aoki and written by New York Times bestselling author Jim Kruger and Steve Aoki. So make sure to check it out. And this episode comes thanks again to Steve Aoki's Hero Quest at your local bookstore or online at HeroQuest.com and catch Steve live on the Heavenly Hell Tour. And we're back. So just to talk about the weather for a second, because we haven't talked about that. <laughs> it's like almost 60 here right now. 
And we're supposed to get three to five inches of snow tomorrow during the day. It's like the end of the world here. So I'm sweating in my office right now. Just, and then I'm like, oh, but tomorrow, snow. It's wild. How is it possible? It's so it's so bizarre because uh, two days ago, I was in my basement because there was tornadoes. Oh, yeah. Because um, I was in the middle of like that scary Midwestern and like the entire state of Iowa was in a tornado warning at some point Wednesday night. And... Yeah, and it was so weird because, like, just the week before, it had been so bitterly cold, and we had, like, a winter storm warning, and then all of a sudden, it was, like, 50 degrees, and then, like, later that night, there were tornadoes, and then the next day, it was, like, high of 20s. It's bizarre. So scary. (laughs) It's really scary weather, so. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we had to bundle the cats up in the carriers and take them to the basement, and they were not thrilled that that was their first time <laughs> in the basement and yeah. they explore, but I was like, no, no, we're all just going to stay contained and hope for the best. Oh, wow. All right, well, we're going to talk about books now because I feel like I'm being a grumpy Gus, which, you know, it happens. Maybe because I'm, like, melting in my seat, <laughs> but... I'm excited about books, so I'm going to kick it off with a memoir that I feel like everyone I know has read and everyone else should read. It's Crying in H Mart, a memoir by Michelle Zauner. She is a Korean-American author and musician. She is basically the band's Japanese breakfast. This is her memoir about growing up in Eugene, Oregon. She was one of a very few number of Asian-Americans who attended her school, and she didn't really feel like she fit in. During some of her summers, she would go with her mother and visit her grandmother in Korea, and she remembers these summers fondly. They would bond over the food that they ate there, but when she was there, she really didn't feel like she fit in there either. Uh, And then when she was 25, after she graduated from college, uh, she got the news that her mother had terminal cancer, and her mother gets very ill and she dies. Uh, and later, this book started out as an essay that she wrote about this shopping trip that she had in H Mart, which is a store that has a lot of the foods that they ate together. Uh, and she was shopping and she started crying, like thinking about her mother. And she sort of began looking for that connection again that she had with her and with her heritage and, you know, grieving her mother. And she just wrote this really beautiful memoir. Um, so it is called Crying in H Mart, a memoir by Michelle Zauner, and it is excellent. Awesome. My first pick is also a memoir. It's called The Natural Mother of the Child. It's written by Chris Malcolm Belk, and it is just like this incredible memoir of non-binary parenthood. It is about Chris and... Chris goes by he, him pronouns now, according to my internet search, but... Throughout most of this book, he identified as non-binary, and it's his journey with um, his wife becoming pregnant with their kids. And so his wife carried their first child, and then um, six months later, um, he became pregnant with their second child. And it's just a really beautiful memoir about like what it means to be a parent, especially a parent who is, you know, giving birth to and carrying a child who doesn't identify as female and like how so many systems in our world are just like not set up to accommodate anybody who is non-binary and it's just really beautiful. And it also, you know, digs into Chris's background, how he decides 
like through the process of, of carrying his son that he wants to go and start hormone therapy. It's It reminded me a bit of In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado, not necessarily because of like the content, but like with the structure and the very literary writing and this like exploration of, you know, what it means to be queer in a world that's not always welcoming to people who are queer. So I started this just kind of like on a little bit of a whim. I just wanted something to read while I was eating breakfast. And then it was like two hours later, I was like, I have to close this book. I have to like go actually do some work. Um, but it was just very difficult to put it down. It was so engaging. So that's The Natural Mother of the Child by Chris Malcolm Belk. Okay, my next pick is also another one that... Uh, appeared on many of the end of the year lists. It is Empire of Pain, The Secret History of the Sackler Dynasty by Patrick Radden Keefe. The three Sackler brothers were here in America in the early 20th century. Uh, they were all very smart and very hardworking, and they invented Valium, which is something just fascinating on its own. Uh, they, the Sackler brothers started a pharmaceutical company. One of them started an ad agency to promote the pharmaceuticals that they sold. They became immeasurably wealthy and spent much of the 20th century just raking in the millions. And they also became philanthropists. There were buildings with their names on them, and they made donations to museums and schools, and their names are all over all kinds of things. But the other thing is that uh, they are also at the heart of the opioid addiction problem in America. The Sackler company invented OxyContin, uh, which, as we know, is very addictive. Uh, and they sold it by telling doctors that it was safe and doctors telling patients that it was safe. Uh, they gave tons of it away. They gave discounts. They gave kickbacks. And over the last few years, they have been called to testify, and they're trying to hold them accountable for, for what they did and learn, you know, what they know about, you know, how they participated in getting this drug out there and, and causing this national crisis. And Patrick Ryden Keefe wrote Say Nothing, which was about uh, the IRA during the Troubles, and he was, like, spied on while he was writing this book. He was followed. It's very interesting. Um, he's such an incredible writer, and it's so compelling. He has a book coming out in June called Rogues, True Stories of Grifters, Killers, Rebels, and Crooks, which I cannot wait to get my hands on because he's so amazing. Uh, this one is Empire of Pain, The Secret History of the Sackler Dynasty by Patrick Radden Keefe. I actually read um, Say Nothing for the first time this year, and that was one of my favorite nonfiction picks of the year, but I couldn't talk about it because it didn't come out in 2021. <laughs> um, so I'm really excited to pick up Empire of Pain, and I'm super excited for his next pick as well. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, such a I, I'm very impressed with how he manages to write about very complicated, um, just like in terms of like the quantity of information, but like also in like the depth of details. He's able to write about these complicated subjects in a way that like even somebody like me who doesn't always understand these, you know, different aspects of history or different industries, like I can understand it. So yeah, he's great. Yeah. He also had a very 2021 launch of his book because the day that his book launched, he was doing a virtual event uh, and he tested positive for COVID. He oh, had no, no symptoms, but he had tested positive for COVID and he was able to do his event, you know, talking to uh, another writer uh, somewhere else, you know, like because everything was on Zoom at that point, which which it wouldn't have been able to happen if, you know, if it was in person. It was just kind of surreal. <laughs> yeah. Oh, 2021. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. My next pick is one that was recommended to me um, by one of my best friends, and it is Cultish, The Language of Fanaticism. And it's by Amanda Montel. And oh my gosh, this book is so fascinating. So I feel like there's a lot of fascination with cults lately, like both in popular media, there's been like a lot of like very prominent like cult novels, but in podcasts and um, TV shows lately. And this book really digs into like, what it is when we say something is cultish or something is a cult. And um, one thing that's really fascinating to me is that we like Montel really digs into like, what is a cult and how a lot of people have a hard time defining it. And she talks about cults existing on a spectrum. And like on one end of the spectrum, you have something that's like, you know, not necessarily a bad thing, because if you leave it, it's not like you're going to be hunted down or physically harmed or any anything like that. But then like on the other end of the spectrum are like, you know, the scary cults where like you literally cannot leave and there's a lot of abuse going on. And she just talks about all these different, you know, society groups, but like, you know, organizations, expectations, all of these things that can exist on the spectrum of cultishness and like all the language that is used to sort of create this atmosphere. And I was very fascinated by this, like both as a word nerd and as somebody who has read some cult literature and listened to podcasts and watched TV shows about cults and find them kind of just like interesting on a human level. So this book is a really great sort of combination of like psychology and language and all, all of that good stuff. And I highly recommend it because I feel so much smarter having read this book. So that is Cultish, The Language of Fanaticism by Amanda Montel. It is a really excellent book. I'm a big fan of word books, no matter what they're about and like learning about words. And I can't speak with my words right now. <laughs> words, But it is an excellent book. Uh, my next book is a memoir, but also sort of an investigation of sorts. It is Three Girls from Bronzeville, a uniquely American memoir of race, fate, and sisterhood by Don Turner Trice. Uh, Bronzeville is a section of Chicago, and Don Turner Trice wrote this about herself and her sister and their best friend growing up, who might as well have been a sister. They were very close. Uh, it's a story of three young black girls growing up in Bronzeville, and they had very similar experiences, very similar circumstances, they all wanted to go to college. Two of them wanted to be doctors. One of them wanted to be a teacher. And they, like I said, they were very close and they had all these dreams and hopes. And this is one of those books like Night of the Gun that is an investigation into her own life where she kind of looks back and finds out where their paths diverged because they did. Each of the young girls grew up and their experiences were very different and tragedy affected all of them, but some of it led to loss and even murder. And Don Turner Trice is talking about, you know, how how did this happen? Like, where did this change? What were the, you know, could it have been helped? Like, or was it just fate? It's very sad and very beautiful and, and completely fascinating. It's Three Girls from Bronzeville, a uniquely American memoir of race, fate, and sisterhood by Don Turner Trice. Ugh, I keep seeing this book and thinking that I'm going to pick it up. Sounds great. You should. Yeah. Along with everything else. <laughs> yes. 
That's what I mean. Yeah. My um, next pick is Sure, I'll Be Your Black Friend, Notes from the Other Side of the Fist Bump by Ben Phillip. And it's not to be confused with the very excellent The Black Friend by Frederick Joseph. It just had so happened that like within six months, we had these two books with very similar titles come out. But Sure, I'll Be Your Black Friend is written by Ben Phillip, and he is a very hilarious YA writer. This is his nonfiction adult debut. He's also a writer on the TV show The Only Murders in the Building, which if you've not watched it, I highly recommend. It's very funny. It's very excellent. Um, so this is his like memoirs and essays about all of the different sort of roles that he has played in his life, you know, the black friend, the black boyfriend, the black son, and he goes through and sort of breaks down like all of the expectations that have been placed on him and how he has, you know, sort of met those expectations, but also how he subverted them. And it's like this very funny book that I would say is less about like, trying to educate people. I mean, although it is trying to kind of do that in in certain sort of funny ways, but it's also about, you know, his, his own memoirs and his own experiences. Um, He is originally from Haiti. When he was a kid, his parents moved to Canada and he grew up in Canada. And then he moved to New York City for college. He had um, a short stint in Texas. And now he's back in New York City. So he has this very sort of unique perspective on the US and things that are happening right now and what it's like to be black. But as he's like pointed out, he's, you know, Canadian and Haitian. So um, but he speaks French fluently, and he's not really what people expect. And it was just a really funny book. It, it actually reminded me a lot of um, Born a Crime by Trevor Noah, like similar sort of complicated family dynamics growing up, especially with like a very strong single mom who had a really big impact on him. But also just, you know, existing and having to like reckon with what it means to be black in a lot of white spaces. So it was very, very funny. I listened to the audiobook, which he does not narrate, but James Fui narrates and does an excellent job. It's just, yeah, there were so many funny lines that like I was driving when I was listening to it, but I kept wanting to be like, I got to pull over and like write this down because it's so funny and I need to remember it. But that is sure I'll be your black friend by Ben Phillips. All right, my next pick today is White Magic by Alyssa Washuda. It is a memoir in essays. A lot of of memoirs today. They're just so good, though. This is her account of growing up Native in America, the prejudice toward her culture, the sexism she experienced as a woman. Uh, She suffered a lot of abuse. She was treated for PTSD and bipolar disorder, And she started looking for something to believe in. And she started becoming interested in witchcraft. But she said, like, not the kind of witchcraft that, like, they sell you online or, like, the stuff that, you know, they try to sell you at the farmer's market or, like, the hokey stuff that people think go along with witchcraft. Instead, she searched the spirits of her people. She searched for the spirit of her people and she searched to draw power from her heritage and she talks about that like looking for meaning 
um, you know, how she became her own version of what she wanted a witch to be. And it also includes heavy doses of pop culture, um, like the things that are important to her in her life and how she incorporated them in her beliefs and the things that she draws power from. It's very, very interesting. I, I thought it was really wonderful to read, and I would love to read some more from her. It is White Magic by Alyssa Washuda. Awesome. So my next pick is The Quiet Zone, Unraveling the Mystery of a Town Suspended in Silence by Stephen Kirksey. And this was really fascinating. I listened to the audiobook, and it is about this community in Appalachia, and it's Green Bay, West Virginia. They have the Green Bay um, Observatory, which is like this big observatory with this giant, like, I don't know, scope and lots of very sensitive um, technology that means that like astronomers are studying things that like it's very difficult to study because of like everyday interference, like technology and electricity. And so they have declared it like the quiet zone where you're not supposed to have Wi-Fi and cell phones and cell towers and certain electrical like charges and surges um, are banned. And so it's interesting because he was drawn to the idea of a place that was like a quiet zone just because he's a little bit of a Luddite himself. He doesn't have his own cell phone. He really tries to like stay away from that sort of modern technology. And he gets there and he realizes that this place is definitely much more than it seems. Like um, he talks about how like a lot of news networks from the US, but also all over the country will come or all over the world, excuse me, will come and they will like interview people and be like, what is it like growing up without Wi-Fi? What is it like growing up without cell phones? And um, a lot of the residents will like kind of, you know, ham it up for the cameras, but like he would talk to them and he'd be like, these idiots, like, of course we have Wi-Fi at home. It might not technically be legal, but we do have Wi-Fi at home. And so he really digs into the community and like how people balance like this idea of like certainly you aren't allowed to have Wi-Fi and other technology in certain areas, but a lot of people are still living here and they are living with more technology than people think. Um, but because it is a quiet zone, there's also, you know, these blackout zones and and he's also kind of interested in the other people that exist there, um, such as the fact that like this area is home to some white supremacy groups who were you know, specifically drawn to this place because of the quiet zone and because they believe rather rightly that if they make their home here, they won't be monitored quite as much, which isn't to say that they go completely unmonitored, but it's true that it's harder to monitor possible terror groups when there's these blackout zones. So it was just a really fascinating book about the people, his experiences there. It definitely leans more into like history and nonfiction than memoir, although you do get some of his own experiences. And I also think he did a fairly decent job of, you know, exploring what it's like to, you know, realize that there are white supremacy groups there. And he goes and he does try to talk to them because he, you know, is a journalist, he wants to get the whole story. But he also is very aware of like not giving them a platform and glorifying them. Um, so it's just a really, really interesting book about all of the complications and contradictions and nuances and details that a single community 
can hold. And I thought it was excellent. So that is The Quiet Zone by Stephen Kirksey. I don't know if it was you who talked about it on the show, but somebody talked about reading it next, I think. And I was like, yeah, me too. That's what I'm going to read as soon as we get done the podcast today. And then it completely left my brain. I never got around to it. But I definitely want to pick that up because it just sounds really fascinating. Yeah, it really was. Before I tell you about my next pick, I just want to uh, give a quick shout out to April. April is an All the Books listener and was listening to the All the Backlist podcast a couple of weeks ago uh, when I was saying that for my last pick, I wanted people to carve out some time and read something that they've always wanted to read. And she was the first person to reach out to me and say that she did that and tell me about her book. And it was just so lovely to hear from her and to to get that email. It just cheered up my whole day. So I just want to say hello to April and thank you for the email. And, you know, if you out there were listening and you want to tell me about the books you chose, like, please feel free. You can reach us at all the books at bookriot.com. And yeah. So now on to my next pick, which is not that cheerful, but is quite amazing. I came late to this one. Like uh, somehow, I don't know. I, I didn't get to it when it came out and it's on like every end of the year list. It's all the frequent troubles of our days. The true story of the American woman at the heart of the German resistance to Hitler by Rebecca Donner. And this is a true story. Obviously, this is a nonfiction podcast, Liberty, um, about <laughs> the life and death of Donner's great, great aunt Mildred Harnack, who was the American leader of one of the largest underground resistance groups in Germany during World War II. Mildred was a brilliant young woman who was born in Milwaukee at the beginning of the 20th century. She went to Germany for a PhD when she was like 25 or 26 and saw the rise of the Nazi party firsthand. And she said, I need to do something about this. And she started a resistance. And they began helping to hide and transport Jewish people out of the country. She was recruiting German people to help with the cause. It's this incredible, unbelievable story of bravery and compassion that, if you read The Flap of the Jacket, has a horrific, tragic ending. Uh, so just want to put that out there, because I know we haven't talked about it on the show before. Things did not end well for Mildred Harnack, but what an amazing person. And it's one of those books that you read that, like, you do a lot of self-reflection. Like, could you do the things that she did? You know, if the time came, could you step up and and do these things? I mean, it's just, and the reporting is incredible and just amazing. I, I just, I'm really glad that I picked it up because I, I don't know, I don't think I would have if I hadn't seen all the, the end of the year lists. It just kind of slipped past me. It is all the frequent troubles of our days, the true story of the American woman at the heart of the German resistance to Hitler by Rebecca Donner. And before we hear Tirza's next pick, we are going to hear from another sponsor. Okay, what do you have for us? All right, so my next pick is a really short book, but really, really great. It's called On Juneteenth by Annette Gordon-Reed, and it is, huh, surprisingly, about Juneteenth. Um, and I picked this up because I did not hear about Juneteenth and did not know what Juneteenth was until I was definitely an adult, probably in college, but maybe even after. And with the recent news this year about the moves to make it a national holiday, I was like, well, I, I need to know more. So Annette Gordon-Reed has written this really great book. It's definitely on the shorter side, so that makes it like really a good quick read, but like very essential. And she talks about like, you know, what it was like for her growing up in Texas 
and especially during civil rights and what Juneteenth like means to her and her family, especially as Texans. And also about um, like just she does a lot of myth busting about the presence of like African people in North America. And basically as a historian shows that like a lot of what we think about, you know, Africans in America is uh, oversimplification. Like it's a lot more complicated and a lot more nuanced um, the history than, you know, what we're taught in schools. And so she does a lot of talking about how Texas is a very unique place, which I think if any of us, have spent any time in the United States understands, but she digs more into like the actual history of Texas, which I realized I didn't know a ton about. And that gave me a lot of really good context for understanding American history as a whole. And she does it in just these really great, you know, like I said, sort of short chapters. And there's just so much information in there that I was like pausing and I was like, I I never knew this. So all of this sort of builds up to why Juneteenth is such an important holiday in Texas. And, you know, she also talks about how, like, when she first heard about the moves to make it more of a national holiday, she was, like, a little protective of it. Like, no, no, that's a Texas thing. But also, like, why it's important that we understand this history and how it affects life now. Just so, so interesting and has some really great, like, threads of memoir in it, but, like, also some really good history. So that is on Juneteenth by Annette Gordon-Reed. I listened to it on audiobook. It's like a really short audiobook. It's under four hours. It's narrated by Karen Chillin. So if you need like a good end of the year pick to get you to your your reading goal and you want to learn something, it's excellent. All right. My next pick is coming up when I can find where I put that tab for my notes. <laughs> Here it is. It's A Little Devil in America Notes in Praise of Black Performance by Hanif Adurakib. If you have not heard of Hanif Adurakib by now, stop everything and look him up. He is amazing and so prolific. I feel like They Can't Kill Us Until They Kill Us just came out a couple of years ago. It's probably been like four or five, uh, which also has one of my favorite book covers of all time, a wolf wearing a tracksuit. It's amazing. And he's also done Fortune for Disaster, which was a book of poetry, and also Go Ahead in the Rain, which is about a tribe called Quest. And that one and this one, A Little Devil in America, were both nominated for the National Book Award. He's just a very prolific writer and poet, and he's just such an expert at writing about culture, but, like, making it personal and making it interesting. And in this book, he looks at Black performance in American culture Um, You know, the history of it, the appropriation, the importance of it. And he breaks down several famous performances over the years and talks about them. He explains, like, the symbolism, the importance of this work, the history going on at the time, as well as his own personal reactions to to these performances, his own thoughts and, and things happening in his own life. He makes all of his books a little bit about himself, and they're just so interesting. He's simply, without a doubt, one of the most remarkable young nonfiction writers of this century, um, and he's just getting started. It is A Little Devil in America, Notes in Praise of Black Performance by Hanif Adurakib. I feel like that one, every other time I get onto the book riot slack, somebody's talking about it. <laughs> yeah, so good. 
My next pick is another memoir. This was like the year of reading lots of memoir in history for me. So it's Somebody's Daughter by Ashley C. Ford. And Ashley Ford is somebody that I've like followed on the internet for a really long time now. And this is her debut book. And it's a really fantastic memoir about growing up in Indiana and just how she always knew from a young age that her father was in prison. She lived with her mom and her grandmom growing up. And she has um, a bunch of younger siblings that, you know, she feels very protective toward over. And sometimes, you know, growing up, she didn't always have like the greatest relationship with her mom. You know, her mom really struggled, you know, just being a single mother, being black in the United States. And, wasn't always like the best mom in the moment, although she certainly wasn't like always a terrible mom either. And I really liked how Ashley just dug into like the complicated relationship that she has with her family. And sort of at the heart of this is, again, the fact that she's always known that her father was in prison, but it wasn't until she was a teenager that she learned why he was in prison. And when she found out why, it it really challenged her. And um, but it didn't like take away from her wanting to still have a relationship with her father. So it's a really lovely memoir that, you know, starts with her finding out that her father is getting out of prison and then kind of goes back and weaves throughout her childhood. I do want to give a content warning for sexual assault in this book. Just be aware going in because that is covered and, and talked about in in detail. So, um, but otherwise, I mean, I just thought that this was a really stunning memoir. And I listened to this one also on audio and it was great on audio because the author narrates it. So that is Somebody's Daughter by Ashley C. Ford. All right. Can you hear the fan on my laptop? It's so hot in here right now. (laughs) I'm like, oh, no. So if I cut out, it's because my computer's like, I'm done. We're done here. Don't you talk about eight books? Why are you talking about 16? I'm tired. (laughs) Too many books. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, my next pick is one that I talked about when it came out, and it's so excellent. And I was happy to see it was nominated for a bunch of awards, a bunch of Pan American Awards. It is The Kissing Bug. A True Story of a Family, an Insect, and a Nation's Neglect of a Deadly Disease. And it is by Daisy Hernandez. And first of all, I wonder if, like, more people... I haven't seen a lot of people talk about this, and I wonder if it's because we're in a pandemic. So, like, disease and, you know, pandemics right now are probably not super popular. But this book is just incredible. This is another one of those personal investigation memoirs where Daisy Hernandez went growing up she was told that her aunt became deathly ill from eating an apple which is like very traumatic when you're a child like if like you know oh it's like she ate an apple like snow white and something happened to her but what she didn't know was that she had actually died of Chagas which is a rare illness affecting the heart and digestive system that you get from a bug it's called the kissing bug disease and it's extremely prevalent in the United States. Outside of Latin America, the United States is the only country that has these native insects that carry this disease. And Hernandez began investigating this disease as an adult and talks about like how, you know, it was kind of neglected by the government due to racial politics and, you know, um, poverty and racism played a part in it because this is actually a very serious thing. And, Instead, the government kind of tries to keep it a secret. You like, it's like, I'm not trying to start a panic. I'm just saying, like, 
it's actually very prevalent in this country. And it's just amazing. It's another one of those books where, like, I did not know any of this. And wow. And it'll, it'll make you think a lot about what you know. And again, about, you know, the world that we live in and, you know, what you believe and what you hear. It's just amazing. So this is The Kissing Bug, a true story of a family, an insect, and a nation's neglect of a deadly disease by Daisy Hernandez. Yeah, I had never heard of this book, and it sounds really fascinating. And I also want to say that you are really great at coming up with nonfiction books that you talk about on the show that make me go, okay, I need to buy that for my mom, because (laughs) my mom's a retired nurse. She loves diseases, so this is going to be great. Oh, your mom's going to have to cut me in on this. (laughs) All right, my next pick is... Um, Revolution in Our Time by Kekla Magoon. And this was a National Book Award finalist. It is a history of the Black Panther Party. And again, I think I mentioned earlier that like my nonfiction theme for this year was memoirs and history, and particularly like parts of history that I feel were really glossed over in my education or just really not addressed at all. And the Black Panther Party definitely falls, unfortunately, in that category. Um, I, you know, I didn't really learn a lot about them in school. And what I did learn, I realized has, you know, been cast in sort of a negative light. Um, and this is just a really incredible history that, you know, talks about how they were formed and like what their ethics and what their, their goals were. And, it's a really beautifully put together book with like a lot of photos and, you know, just um, supplementary material, meticulously researched, really engaging, um, really like just very easy to read and get into. It's, it is written for like a teenage audience in mind, but I think adults who don't know a lot about the Black Panther Party or who want to like get a little bit deeper will also get a lot out of this book. And as I said, as National Book Award finalist, it's very good. So that is Revolution in Our Time by Kekla Magoon. And I learned so much while reading this book. I purchased it. I have not read it yet, but I did purchase it because I loved oh, the season of Sticks Malone, which was oh, yes. so a good. great book by Kekla. But that starts off with like some brothers who trade their baby sister for some fireworks, which is pretty, yes. pretty awesome. Um, so, and... I'm looking forward to reading this one. My last pick today is a true crime pick. I feel like I didn't read a lot of true crime this year. I did just read a really cool book about an undercover agent who infiltrates a violent motorcycle gang that's coming out next year, which is really fun. And I can't remember the title now, but I'm sure I'll be talking about it next year. This one is an excellent account of The Last Call Killer. Uh, it is called Last Call, A True Story of Love, Lust, and Murder in Queer New York by Elon Green. And this is one of those true crime books, like, how they should be written, where this book is all about the victims. And it's not about victim blaming. It's not about what choices they should or shouldn't have made. This is the story of the victims of a serial killer. They were members of the gay community in New York City and how, like, a lot of what was known about them was kept a secret even from their families and was kept a secret from the news. And the the killer isn't even named in this book until much, much later in the book because it's not about him. It's about like these lives and and the history of the time and what was going on. It's really amazing. And 
I, I was just floored by it. And also there's like one sentence, like the, I think it's like even maybe the last sentence of the book that just hits really hard in these times. And I was like, bah! like crying. I was like, oh my goodness, I cried at the last sentence of a book. I, I just thought it was really fascinating. I'm looking forward to reading more from Elon Green. And I'm such a fan of true crime stories that focus on victims as opposed to you know, glorifying the murderers. This is Last Call, a true story of love, lust, and murder in queer New York by Elon Green. Mm, yes, I have that book on my um, like audiobook queue, so I'm really excited to get to it, especially since you said that the last line is going to make me cry. Oh, yeah. And, and I will say it will only make you cry. Well, I mean, maybe it'll make you cry anyway, but it'll only have made you cry because it was written after 2020. So, yeah. All right. So my final pick, can't believe we've finally gotten to the end here, <laughs> is actually a book that I just started. So I'm sorry. I feel like I'm cheating a little bit here. But again, I I needed like the books that were coming out in 2021. And I read a lot of um, backlist nonfiction. Um, so it's These Precious Days by Ann Patchett. And the reason I feel confident recommending this book is because it's a book of her essays. And I absolutely loved her um, previous essay collection. This is the story of a happy marriage. I devoured it when it came out. Um, I guess it's been a little while now, probably like five, five or six years at least. And this is her new essay collection. I've actually read some of the essays in this um, collection already because they've appeared in other places um, online. But it is, you know, just a collection of her her life, her writing, like her how her views on writing have evolved over the years. You know, Ann Patchett's one of those people who, <laughs> this is going to sound so bizarre. I've never read one of her novels, but what? I, I know, I know, I know. But I've read and I love this is a story of a happy marriage. So I picked this one up because some of my writer friends were just kind of raving about the, the essays that she has in here about writing. And like, I follow her online. I think she's a really interesting and fascinating person. I've always meant to read some of her books, but she's like just one of those people that I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get to that. And then I haven't. But I, I do read almost every essay that like is published online and that she posts about because she just has this very, very beautiful way of writing a very interesting perspective on things. And this book is like about her year of not buying anything for an entire year, um, which I read originally online. So I'm excited to revisit. And she has um, an essay about her parents and yeah, it's just, it's so good. So I just started this, really enjoying it thus far. I think it will become one of my favorite books of the year, which is pretty awesome. So that's These Precious Days by Ann Patchett. Amazing. I feel like so many people have a different Ann Patchett novel as a favorite. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like Mind Spell Canto, which I think is like a movie or an opera or something now, which I I, I didn't watch. I've actually seen the movie. <laughs> the movie was actually pretty good, I thought. I mean, I knew it was, yeah. um, it was, I look, I usually like reading books before seeing the movies, especially if it's like yeah. a book that I know I would like to read. But I was kind of like in a situation where it was like, oh no, we're just watching this movie and I don't have time to read the book. So here we go. And I thought that the movie was really well done. It was really fascinating. And I was like, I'm going to probably read that book now and cry. Um, but yeah, I do. I need, I need to just read some of her books and i haven't made the time but one of these days i will yeah well i mean there are a lot of books out there you know speaking of books to movies 
I just want to mention, um, I recently reread Station Eleven for a work thing, and the it's that amazing novel by Emily St. John Mandel. It definitely hits differently now reading a book about a pandemic uh, than it did when I read it. But if you were like concerned about reading it now, or maybe concerned about watching the television show, I'm here to tell you that I actually think I enjoyed it more kind of, I feel like I could identify with more. Like, some of it made me sadder. I cried some, but I really feel like it was a worthy experience to, like, check it out or reread it now um, and, and oh, see, yeah. like, this is where, like, our world could be going. Like, it, it's, it was kind of amazing. And, and I watched the first episode of the show, and there are some major changes, but, you know, I thought it was excellent. So if you were curious about that, that is my hot take <laughs> on Station Eleven. I'm so glad. And now... Terza, those are our favorite nonfiction books of the year. What are you going to read next? Tomorrow I'm heading home for the holidays and I have a big bag of books that I'm going to take with me and I haven't quite finalized everything that I'm going to take with me, but one of them for sure is going to be Six Crimson Cranes by Elizabeth Lim. And then of course, I'm still reading These Precious Days and really enjoying it. So those are my two sort of in progress and up next. Excellent. I just got my hands on Night of the Living Res, which are stories by Morgan Talty. And this is like, I think this is like the third Tin House book I've mentioned on the show today. They're coming out in July and they are set in a native community in Maine, which is very exciting. Cool. I love books set in Maine. And there's a lot of native history here that is not mentioned or even explored. And I'm really looking forward to checking out these stories. So whew, that is it for us today we did it it. i'm mostly saying woo because i know i say this all the time about holy cats it is so hot in here (laughs) like the it's like 55 outside still and and i can't turn the ac on so it's like melting but yeah even the cats are like laying on the floor like (laughs) (laughs) but we i get to go now and take a nice bath Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can reach us by dropping us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. If you want to find us, Tears of Hangs Out on Twitter at Tears of Price. I mostly hang out on Instagram at Friends and Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review that helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.